0: howdy everybody (laughs) welcome to another bp movie journal i'm david i'm tyler this is the show we do we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these there's an ice cream truck just outside tyler's finding it hard to concentrate because he wants a rocket pop so bad that's (laughs) yeah that's the reason (laughs) and not that i want to claw my ears out Yes. All right. Uh, yeah, we were having a fun conversation off mic, um, waiting for the ice cream truck to go away. And but apparently, apparently it's never going to. I think the driver of the ice cream truck could hear our conversation and was like, I'm going to hang around and see how this plays out. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this dinging is my entire life, so obviously
1: yeah. I can tune that out and other people can't. Um, why are they yeah. talking about movies? Why are they talking about my truck now? That's weird. Anyway. Yeah, you think that dinging like, bothers you? That, that guy has to live with it all day. This is the Every life you chose. Is All it? All right. I don't know. I didn't, I did not know about, even though I only moved half a block away, like that truck, like I did not hear that dinging. That truck was not a thing that I thought about. And then moving here and yeah, we moved here in the middle of summer and suddenly it's like, what the fuck is that? And yeah, uh, we well,
0: don't place know. your windows. Didn't know when I'm directly out onto the street. Right. So yeah, maybe you were sheltered a little bit.
1: Indeed I was. Uh, aren't we all in our own ways? <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't know you were going to get philosophical, but okay. What did you watch this week? I'll tell you. I watched the mo- the the moment we were done recording last week. I s- scampered off to go see Jordan Peele's Us. And I did not care for it. Um, the first half is great. Okay. Um, and when I say first half, it might be like first, I don't know, 40 to 45 minutes, but like when character and tone and, uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry, see it got me, um, do so character if, we, and tone if we pulled and up these,
0: if we pulled up these blinds, which you rehung the blinds, thank mm-hmm. you, um, uh, hmm do you think you would see yourself in a red jumpsuit with a pair of scissors out there? <laughs> and and, and I
1: would say, please, <laughs> please take my place. Either that, or maybe coordinate with the ice cream guys, uh doppelganger. And, uh-huh. uh, maybe you can make that go. Do they actually say doppelganger in the movie? No, they, okay. Don't. Um, but yeah, so Jordan Peele is, has established himself as a very good, I think a very good visual filmmaker, uh, he has a way with music he just and and also he can get he gets tremendous lead performances uh, or tremendous performances out of his leads in this case it 's uh, Lupita Nyong'o who 's marvelous um, oh jeez there 's all kinds of noise uh, on all sides there 's a party going on I apologize. Um, <clears throat> The thing that I liked about... Okay, you saw Get Out. You liked Get Out. I liked Get Out a lot. Yeah, I did too. It was one of my favorite movies of that year. But I do think that the reason that that worked so well is because it was actually pretty small. Um, It was a very focused, very specific story. This one starts that way, and then he decides to broaden the scope a little bit, which I don't think is necessarily a crime, but when you broaden the focus, you run the risk of losing the focus, and I think he does. And I think... Uh, suddenly I found myself very aware of how long the film had been going on. And Mm. it felt like it was dragging and it felt like there were a lot of moments where characters were just explaining everything, Uh, which, and granted they do it in an interesting way. The perform, the actors do what they can, but it's still just like, okay, all right, you really don't need to do this. Um, And so certainly, Wh- whatever horror occurred wh- was happening that kind of went away so I wasn't scared I wasn't on the edge of my seat I wasn't even really that invested in the story that was being told um more than anything I was just watching the actors and marveling at their ability to in my opinion transcend the material uh and then there are a lot of like little twists here and there that felt like something out of sort of b-level Shyamalan Um, Mm. and in fact, there is a final twist that I'm reluctant to, I put it in my review. I'm reluctant to say this, but because it might give it away, except you'll see it coming. It's like something out of Treehouse of horror on the Simpsons. Okay. Um, and when it does happen, you're just like, wait, hang on. Is that meant to be like a mind blower or something? Because we've seen it before. And I saw that, and I saw it coming. And also, I don't think it actually has a whole lot of weight hmm. to it. Um, I'm very much in the minority. Most people like the film. I think they're responding to the to the tone and the visuals, and I, and that they're right to do that. But I do think, uh, and of course, the socio political themes I think are good. But I also think that those are so broad that it's ve- it would be very easy to interpret them the exact opposite way that he is intending them hmm. without trying very hard. Um, so yeah, I was, I was disappointed. I think it was a good first half. And so when it comes right down to it, it's like, yeah, I could see him doing very well with the twilight zone, which yeah. I assume is a one hour show. I don't know. Maybe it's a half hour, It'd but like a half hour, yeah. these short stories, I think he work. I think he could work very well within that limited and very specific scope. Um, but yeah, I was disappointed by us.
0: So you saw last week's big uh, pole release, or big mm-hmm. studio release, rather. I saw this week's. I saw, and I went in with my hopes up, okay. Tim Burton's Dumbo. Okay, yeah. Because I still am a guy who is pulling for Tim Burton, even though I tend to agree with most people that most of his recent output is not good, although I, d- I will defend the animated Frankenweenie feature, and I will also defend most parts of Miss Peregrine's uh, Home for Peculiar Children. Yeah, it has some, some good stuff to it. Um, and so I was like, you know, let me have it. Uh Tim Burton. Prove me right. Prove that you still got it. And um Dumbo might honestly be my least favorite Tim Burton film. <laughs> it's at least my least favorite since Planet of the Apes. um what about Dark Shadows. Dark Shadows I don't think is very good. Right. It feels half-baked in a lot of ways. But, um, Dark Shadows is like, at least has every 15 or so minutes in Dark Shadows, something fun happens. That's true. You know, he like Johnny Depp kills an entire campfire where's the like campsite where the beatniks. That's funny to me. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then you've got here and this, will this will give me that was, you give me a perfect entree into the, the, the one good thing I will say about Dumbo. Uh, which is also the one good thing the one consistently good thing about dark shadows and that's Eva Green mm-hmm. who i feel like is becoming and and if he'd really if tim burton really did have a um uh creative resurgence or whatever she could be to tim burton now what Johnny Depp was to him in the 90s like kind of not, muse uh, not, uh but i mean uh, yes a muse but but a true collaborator. Because sure. I honestly feel like the same thing I felt in Dark Shadows, um, and also felt in Miss Peregrine, like it, they seem to get each other. Mm-hmm. They they seem to be on the same wavelength in like a you know uh Hitchcock Jimmy Stewart type of way. Sure. Um well, obviously very different material, but She's the only bit of life in Dumbo, mm-hmm. uh, and it's not even like it's not even as media part as Miss Peregrine, but she um, is weirdly playing. Like I, I feel like so many like Dumbo should. I think feel like it's trying to be very heartfelt. Like every character except for Michael Keaton, who's the main villain. Even like your minor villains, like uh, I guess minor spoiler, be minor villains like Danny DeVito and Alan Arkin, kind of end up having redemptive arcs whereas michael keaton is the villain but uh, everyone is uh, everyone is supposed to be the beating heart of this movie Mm. and most of them are just just completely limp yeah eva green as the uh so michael keaton plays the owner of a big amusement park Mm. and he's the one who buys dumbo and or he actually ends up buying danny devito's entire circus just for dumbo and then firing everybody else Mm. um and Eva Green plays the, st- the star of his circus. Um, and, uh, and, and she's the only one, like, I honestly feel that she does. She's the only one who does a good job of acting with the CGI elephant, okay. which she has to do a lot of as the movie goes on. Um, and she's the only one you feel has an emotional history with herself and with Michael Keaton's character. Um, yeah, I could sit here all day and tell, talk about all the good things about Eva Green's performance. And by the way, she's great in other movies, not just Tim Burton movies. She was, um, she she is the number one reason why the three hundred sequel is ten times better than three hundred. Okay. At least that might be a
1: conservative estimate because <laughs> okay, three hundred steer into it and say it's three hundred times. Better.
0: Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, actually, I probably should have gone that uh, gone that way. Yeah, because three hundred is unwatchable sorry, unwatchable and 300 Rise of, an, Rise of an empire is a total blast. Mm-hmm. And most of that is Eva green. She was, there was also the um, Gregor Rocky movie. Um, what was it called? Uh white bird in a blizzard or something yeah, like that. Yeah, is that, that, that th- sounds right. Um, yeah. She's, she's great in that. I really am a big Eva green. She thing. has a very specific
1: type of edge to her uh-huh. um, that feels kind of like a throwback to an earlier time. Like she's, she has a femme fatale quality to her. Um, not yeah. all the time, but like she just, she reminds me of someone who this is not necessarily a classical actress, but somebody like Michelle Pfeiffer, like in her heyday where you're like, she's just so watchable mm-hmm. and you can tell she's present. She's enjoying herself. Yeah. And yeah, I think that if Tim Burton were to kind of take his cues from her as an actress, uh, I feel like his films could feel more, for lack of a better term, dangerous. Yeah, that's a risky. that's a great way
0: of saying it. Yeah, and uh, um, I'll throw it back to you, but uh, uh, to move on, but I I never saw because I didn't see the first Sin City movie, so I didn't see Sin, Sin City: a Dame, a Dame to Kill For. Mm-hmm. But she's in that too, right? Yeah, I only saw the first one. I second oh, okay. one it was terrible. Um, and then the last thing I will say, a little, I did get a little bit of a sort of meta kick out of. Um, Michael Keaton and Danny DeVito playing off each other in a scene in, in a, in a scenario where Michael Keaton is very much the villain, Yeah, you know, (laughs) to bring back, you know, going back to Batman and turns and seeing him being the slimy one.
1: Uh, do the, uh, how does the, when I heard that Tim Burton was doing Dumbo, I was just like, that's an odd, uh, like on one hand, when I heard he was doing Alice in Wonder, I was like, that's too obvious. <laughs> but with, then with Dumbo, I was like, man, that doesn't feel right to me. I don't think of him as a director who has much of a heart these days. Um, but then when I was just like, I bet it, I bet he'll do pretty well with the pink elephant scene though. Is that scene uh,
0: good? Uh, it's, I don't know if you know, it, it is not, it, only the very basics of the story are from the original movie so there is a not offensive crows don't show up (laughs) no (laughs) in 2019 no so there is a more than a nod there is a pink elephants moment but it's a it's a largely different moment than it's very it, it comes about in a very different way um and it is a cool bit of visual effects work and you get yeah. it does bring in some of the score from the uh yeah. the original to that moment so it's a nice little moment but even then like they feel like like because it's not the moment you're saying you're, you're expecting mm-hmm. so when you see something that's very similar to that it, it has to hang a lantern on where alan Arkin
1: is like oh pink elephants mm-hmm.
0: or something like that yeah. <laughs> um
1: and it's uh, it, that's tough because on one hand it's just like well i don't want just a live action putting quotes around it in some cases yeah. uh, a live action version of the movie that already exists like you want it to do something a little bit different but at the same time like yeah. when in, in the when they discard one of the bigger set pieces uh and one of the things that makes that film so memorable it's just like oh boy you really uh maybe bet on the wrong horse here
0: yeah uh i forgot the other thing i was going to say and this is a million apologies because I always feel bad saying this kind of thing, but I feel like it's really integral to the movie here.
1: The child actor, the main child actor is just not good. Yeah. Just not good. It, uh, yeah, it makes you treasure those yeah. like how those child actors like a Haley Joel Osment Yeah. or a Jacob Tremblay yeah, um, or a young, um, Oh shoot. Now I've forgotten her name. Who's in uh, Little Miss Sunshine? Um, Abigail Breslin. That was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Just like who are so natural. Or what's her name
0: from uh, Going Back? Uh, Matilda Mara Wilson is that oh, her yeah, name? yeah, she, she was, great. was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this uh, this girl is um, actually apparently I read after the fact. Tandy Newton's daughter. Oh. Okay. Um, and she's like she's very self possessed. It's not like a. It's not like a bad, like stammering, uncertain. Right. There's just it's a completely unmodulated performance. Yeah. She's always speaking at the exact same level, yeah. volume,
1: intonation. Like there's nothing seems to affect her at all. Uh, anyway. And the little kid from uh, Wrinkle in Time. I remember liking him as well. Cause, oh, cause right. It's such a specific what? Type Charles of Wallace is that the the, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, the, uh, the character's name yeah yeah. I don't remember the actor at all, but um, yeah. Uh, Okay, so next next for me is a film that I watched uh, on HBO. Um, I think it played at Sundance this year. Uh, It is Alex Gibney's The Inventor, Out for Blood in Silicon Valley. Yeah, That was not, I think, the original title. I think the original title was either Out for Blood or Bad Blood, Um, but I don't remember.
0: I'm not sure. I I think by the time... Because I think HBO might have picked it up before Sundance. Okay. So I think when it played Sundance, it was called The Inventor. Okay. But yeah, it might have had a... I don't
1: know. Uh, so yeah, um, I'll just say that this, uh, this movie inspired uh, the topic this week, which we have not yet recorded about, so I don't want to go into too much detail, but I will say that it's very interesting. Um, it's, it's an interesting story. And one that has more than a little bit in common with those uh, two fire Festival documentaries about this person who... Um, now, that guy, turns out, is just a general con man, but he also seems to have some belief in what it is he's doing. And then uh, Elizabeth Holmes, uh, she certainly does. She start, Years ago, she started this company uh, in Silicon Valley uh, where she could ideally create this small like probably three foot by two foot box uh where you could put a single drop of blood in and it could perform 200 different tests um so the idea is it doesn't cost very much and you can catch things early that kind of thing um and she's a visionary she's uh she's very charismatic Uh, a lot of people invest in the company and one thing that i find interesting is it's just like you've got like Henry Kissinger and Joe Biden. It's like one of the few, it's like this thing that brings everybody together. Yeah. And then it turns out I'm reluctant to say it was a fraud. It's not as though it was a scam where she, where the boxes were just, you know, full of cardboard or something mm-hmm. like that. No, like she was actually trying to do this thing. Right. But it became very clear that it was not going to work, but she just she wasn't pulling a Spanish prisoner she was <laughs> 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 thank you yes no she wasn't um, but and she clearly like looked at people at previous inventors like Thomas Edison and Steve Jobs people who were responsible for these amazing things but also were showmen and we promoting themselves yeah. as a way of getting funding so that it's like, okay, I'll promise to the point where thing,
0: in both of your examples there, it's questionable what exactly they exactly. did. Yes. Yeah.
1: And so, so that's, but what I like about that is that it's showing that what to up to a point, what she is doing is not that unusual in the world of scientific invention. Um, but then it comes a moment where she just, when she is faced that, like, there'll be people in her company that say this cannot work. We are trying to make it work and it can't. And then she like fires them and then ruins their lives. One guy eventually kills himself. Um, and it's that kind of thing where like, so, okay, so that's pretty rough. And then she just starts covering things up. Now she's lying. And so like, okay, it, it didn't start as a fraud, but it does become one. Because after a while, and I, th- I think she still believes in it, but it's ultimately this idea. It's like, the way you conceived this is, it cannot work. So you need to shut down your company and do something else. As opposed to just keep bilking people mm-hmm. out of money, um, hoping that this design will work. It's not going to. And just the number of dishonesty. And that's the other thing, is that like this isn't a light bulb. This is something... That screws with people's lives, Mm. you know, because if something, if they get a false positive, like it can, it can throw everything off and they were getting false positives and negatives like all over the place. Mm. And it's like, this is medical stuff now. Like this is a big deal. Um, It's a very fascinating film and one that I think being, okay, so being what I am politically, it's, it, my mind went to a weird place. The guy that I mentioned that was shamed and fired and all that kind of thing. He was one of a few and they all were like these older white guys who'd been in the industry for a long time. And invariably they were told you're not what we're looking for. We want people that are optimistic people. Like they're saying like, you have the wrong attitude and in very, and and the situation's like, yes, but I have decades of experience Mm -hmm. and I just and I'm and I was reminded of the fire festival thing, and so I'm not looking to necessarily bash millennials, but I do think that the idea of hey, attitude is important and optimism is important, but maybe <laughs> it doesn't hurt to listen to the people that have been around for a while, mm-hmm. and sometimes them saying it can't be done isn't just them being defeatist; it's them stating a verifiable <laughs> fact. Um, all that said, it's an Alex Gibney film. And boy, does it feel like it. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But when I tell yeah. you, when I say it's an Alex Gibney film, you know exactly I, what I mean.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't want to go too much into it because I want to save it for our right. episode in a few days later tonight.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. All right. Is that it? Yeah. It's, okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll talk more about it. But yeah, like listeners, if you enjoy Alex Gibney films and I enjoy them to a point, they're sure. a solid B to B plus uh, when they're great. Uh, like, sorry, when the, they're at their best. Um, I mean, I feel uh, like I always get
0: the bare minimum of what I expect. What Exactly. He's not going to throw you for a loop uh,
1: at all. And you won't with this one either.
0: Speaking of being thrown for a loop, I saw a great movie uh, that comes out uh, in the States here in May, I think. It is directed by Olivier Assayas, who has made many, many marvelous movies, uh, including... Um, personal shopper which is my nominee for probably the best movie of the decade oh okay uh that or phantom thread are maybe the two best movies of the 2010s um but we'll see how if i still feel the way because we're going to do in the at the end of the year we are going to do an episode right? right best of the decade and in the
1: meantime i so mean we we'll how like to catch up on like the meg and that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. I mentioned, I hadn't seen sin city, a dame to kill for, right, so. um, <laughs> there's two contenders right <laughs> <Yeah>. there. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so, uh, yeah, he made personal shopper. Um, he made clouds of sales Maria going back. Uh, I've been a fan of his since, um, I uh, that. Uh, uh, I didn't co- That's probably the earliest of his films I've seen. Okay. But the first one of his films I saw was late August, early September. Mm. Um, uh, of course, he made Demon Lover. He made the Carlos miniseries. He made a and, wonderful film called Clean that I don't uh, think you've seen. I haven't it's, seen it. It's marvelous. Okay. Um, I think Alex wrote about that on the website. Hmm. Uh, anyway, check out battleshipretension.com. Anyway, uh, so I, I, I'm naming all these movies because they're he's a, clearly a very varied filmmaker and yet mm. still someone you would very much consider an auteur mm-hmm. and not a journeyman. Uh, but I did not expect... Um, a movie like this. It's called Nonfiction, and it might be, of the movies of his that I've seen, it might be the most purely comedic. Mm. Like, Irma Vep is funny, Demon Lover is very darkly funny, um, but uh, this is a movie that feels like Olivier Say is doing Woody Allen doing Eric Romare, but it really, fe- it basically it takes place in the world of book publishing, mm-hmm. and it's basically about two, the four main characters are two couples and they're all engaged in various levels of infidelity. And when they're together, they just talk about literature and the nature and the state of literature in the modern day, um uh, and the state of discourse and written discourse. It's just a very, a very, very, very talky movie. That's also consistently very funny mm. uh, in, a, in an incredibly dry way. um, And it also, I did, I did, I did feel like, uh, and maybe in, in France, the references would be more mainstream, but like I was in a, uh, there's a, I won't give away the joke of it, but I am sitting in a screening room with critics, Los Angeles film critics, not the Los Angeles film critics side, you know Mm what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, and there's a part where everyone laughed at the invocation of Michael Haneke's name. And I was like, <laughs> I wonder how that's going to play <laughs> outside of this kind of setting, but and it is,
1: it's not going outside that
0: setting. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but it is, there are a couple of references actually, as the film goes on to Michael Haneke and they're always very funny. Yeah. It's like a running, there's a running Michael Haneke joke in this movie. <laughs> if you could imagine that, um, uh, and, um, Yeah, it's but it's also incredibly thoughtful uh, about the things it's it's talking about in terms of um, how has the digital communication and internet communication changed the not just the level of discourse but the value we put on discourse or on literature or whatever. And you know, the movies. What I love about the movie is that it is not at all picking any sides it is having the conversation and in some cases making the argument you know one character makes an argument that um, because one person says like oh people Twitter is just people making jokes all day and the other person says something like uh, yeah, it's short witticisms. What could be more classically French? <laughs> you know, this isn't, this isn't anything new. It's just a new medium, which is kind of, oh, I've, that's always been my, uh, uh, arguing point in most of these things. But then you also see how like, um, like, m- there's the, 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 the book sales have not just dropped precipitously. Like you would assume people are still buying books in some cases and in certain situations, buying even more books. And like a book, a book is more valuable than it used to be, uh, in a way because it represents something a little more novel. Um, that was not a an intended pun, but I'm very happy with it. Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, and yeah, so I, I, I don't want, I, I I feel like I, there's a million jokes I could spoil. I couldn't really spoil the movie because it doesn't have that much of a story to it. Um, I will spoil one joke. Or no, I won't spoil the actual joke, but the nature of the joke. Because you and I have talked about this kind of joke before okay. in movies and have gone back and forth on whether or not we approve of this kind of joke. But um, there's one of the characters is a book publisher. He owns a book publishing firm. And he's talking to one of his authors uh, about putting out his an audio version of his book now in the movie this book publisher character is married to a character played by julia pinoche okay and then he says we're thinking of getting (laughs) julia (laughs) pinoche i laughed really hard in the moment i think it works but there are i know you and i have said like we're not sure if we like that because there's always the one i always think of is the um is it his girl friday where cary grant's like Go put a tail on this guy. How do I know he looks like? He looks like that actor Ralph, Bell- Ralph Bellamy. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> See, it's it's funny, isn't That's, it? To me, that is funny because who knows Ralph Bellamy? Like it's the well, at the time people I, the, did. I know, but he wasn't a huge star. He wasn't Carrie. They didn't play with Cary Grant. Like he was. Right. I don't think he was even necessarily a lead. I think he was still a character actor at the time, Ralph Bellamy.
0: I mean, he, he was kind of consistently the the, the Ralph Bellamy and his going yeah. Friday type of
1: character. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's tough. I don't know. Yeah. Uh,
0: anyway, I, I th- it, think it, it think probably like sounds the- like I've spoiled the joke, but there's more to it than that. Right. Um, that made me laugh really hard. So I approve it in this case, even though in... Theory,
1: I maybe don't love that joke construct. I remember there was uh, there was a, this Canadian show that I loved when I was a kid called The Red Green Show. Do you know it? Uh uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> I do know The Red Green Show? I had not thought of it in twenty something yeah. years. But yeah. Um, and you know the vast majority. I mean, it was it's super Canadian. You would only occasionally see like those actors show up in other things, with the exception of Graham Greene. Uh, oh. he was, he, uh, played a character who's like an expo- an explosive expert and all that. And, uh, he was hilarious. Cause of course, Graham green has that wonderful, like deep, not necessarily monotone voice, but not the most expressive either. Uh, and so I, I have a very specific memory of like two things. One is when he goes, he goes again, he's an explosive expert and he said, he goes, yeah, people are always asking me questions like, why? Like, shouldn't you be using a shorter w- wick or uh, shouldn't you be using a longer wick or uh, where'd the schoolhouse go and <laughs> stuff like that? Um, but then there's then there's one where somebody's talking with him about movies and they reference Dances with Wolves. Uh-huh. And, he, and he said, I saw that one. And that was it. <laughs> like he he taught he talked about the movie. He didn't right. talk about his character in the movie or anything like that. But uh, and. And it was a live show. So like the audience applauded, like they knew, they knew it, but he didn't have yeah. to say Graham green. He didn't even have to, he didn't have to say, I think the character's name is kicking bird. He didn't have to do any of that. He just, oh, I saw that one and oh, that was funny. it. Yeah. That's and funny. I remember being like, all right, that's, that's the most acceptable that joke can
0: be for me. Um, <laughs> all right. What, what, uh, anyway, nonfiction is fucking great and okay.
1: really be funny. Uh, Okay, so this is a film, it's a rewatch, but it's been a while, and it is uh, Federico Federico Fellini's Eight and a Half. Watched it uh, in my world cinema class uh, this week, and so I first saw it in high school, and I did not like it, Hmm. and then I saw it not that long ago, maybe about seven or eight years ago. And I still didn't like it. (laughs) And so in watching it this week, I think it's safe to say that I have grown into it. Uh, It it took me a while, but now I'm not sure if I'd say I love it, but I really I have a much deeper appreciation for it. Um, It's frenetic. It has this frenetic style and yet also poetic and lyrical. It's a beautiful looking film, which is something that I think I had forgotten over time. Um, plus I was watching a really good Blu-ray transfer. So there's that. But, um, uh, and just this story of like somebody, because if I'm being honest, like I, I wasn't an adult yet. Uh, mm-hmm. Even, I, even like seven or eight years ago. I mean, I guess I was in my, my late twenties at that point, but like, I think as you get older and you've experienced more, seasons in your life where it just seems like everybody needs something from you and you don't have anything to give. Uh, and you find yourself haunted by, by like your past, uh, and decisions you've made and people you've hurt. Um, and that in the midst of that tragedy, you can also find ridiculous comedy and, uh, uh, a deeper understanding of yourself and, the fact that like you are deeply flawed and there are times that if, that if somebody were to watch a movie of your life, they'd be like, I don't sympathize with this guy. And, and which is how I have felt towards the Guido character, um, in the past. And now I think I've gotten older and I've done more things that I regret and I've hurt people and I've had more ups and downs. And I think I, I think I just relate to the movie a lot more and I think it's a beautiful, Uh, realization of what it is to live inside uh, to to show the inside of somebody because we do see him interacting with people and then without warning we go into either a flashback or a fantasy sequence or something like that Uh, and it's just you are inside this guy's head all the time but you don't immediately realize that and I just uh, I really really liked it Uh, so I guess third time is the charm eight and a half
0: alright and then uh, finally um, I watched um this is new or coming uh i guess uh, as of this recording it has just come out on blu-ray from shot factory or scream factory it's uh the robert wise film uh, i think it's the earliest robert wise film i've ever seen uh called the body snatcher okay and it is uh from the stars boris karloff and an actor named henry daniel um and then a small but crucial role is played by Lugosi. Nice. Uh, and then, of course, there's actually a main actor whose name I forget, and he's not good in the movie. He's the the worst part. Mm-hmm. But uh, it takes place in Edinburgh in the early 1830s, which um, now, Tyler, I'm not sure how much of a uh, famous murder file you are. But do you know who Burke and Hare were? I know
1: of it because there is a movie called that. Yeah. And that's, that's all I knew too. Okay. But
0: yeah, so Burke and Hare in the 1820s in Edinburgh were these two guys who would basically like, um, find people who were drunk, stumbling out of pubs or whatever, and be like, Hey, let's keep drunken. Let's go back to my place. And then they'd smother them and then, and you know, kill them and then sell their bodies to the local medical school for a oh, wow. Uh, and they killed like over a dozen people, uh, uh, and so The Body Snatcher is a movie that takes place in the aftermath of that in which uh Henry Daniel's character is um oh, okay. a are you looking at Henry Daniel? Yeah what else is he in? He's been he's in, in a ton in the of Philadelphia
1: stuff. story, he's uh Sydney Kid. That's right, yes. And he was also in The Great Dictator playing uh yeah, I love that movie. <laughs> uh call a character named Garbage. Okay. <laughs> Cause like garbage. Yeah. <laughs> but it's
0: German. Um, right. um <laughs> Anyway, so uh, Henry Daniel plays the teacher at the at the medical school. He's the successor to the guy who, who was kind of run out of Edinburgh because of the broken hair thing, um, and he's got this uh, cabby carriage driver named Gray played by Boris Karloff, who it turns out is essentially doing the broken hair thing for him, is mm-hmm. killing, uh, and so the this young apprentice comes along and he's like this isn't right. We have to put a stop to it. And he's all, he's like the hero of the movie and he's the most boring part of the movie. <laughs> Cause I'm much more <laughs> interested tends to happen with this kind of thing. Like, yeah.
1: Oh, the moral yeah. center. Come on.
0: I'm much more interested in the way that the movie is in many ways about class because mm. Henry Daniel is, from the upper class right so his character's name is mcfarland i think or is it McDaniel? it's, some, it's a scottish mcfarland yeah. mcfarland and then gray played by boris Karloff, is a lower class guy you know he drives a cab but he's got something on he's he's got something he's got dirt on yeah. every time every person he goes out and kills or body he digs up or whatever he does is more leverage he has against this uh uh, this rich, well-respected guy. And you'd see, it's a really great performance. by Boris Kar- Boris Karloff, because yeah. you see him come become more and more uh, sure of himself in a terrifying way. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a movie that would definitely, like I said, scream fact the screen factory put, put it out and it would, I would consider it horror, not in the sense that it's scary, although I do think the climax actually does have some uh, pretty freaky stuff going on, but it's not really a scary movie. It's more, it's about something horrific. It's about yeah. a guy killing people and selling their bodies or well, he starts out just digging up dead bodies. And then the first, uh, the first death is warning from people who are sensitive about this sort of thing, in, including me, uh, a dog. Cause there's mm. been this like spate of grave robberies. And so this like, this young man has died, and the family has set up a watchdog in the graveyard to keep his grave from being robbed mm. and so Gray just kills the dog and then uh digs up the body um and uh so yeah it 's about horrific things it definitely seems mm. hor- horrific and um you can tell i mean Robert wise is not this isn 't sound of music, Robert wise, but you can tell he 's very sure of himself there's um yeah the first uh, oh, i almost don't know. I, the the way that the way that the first like murder murder is staged, um, is really beautiful. Don't. Okay. If you don't want a spoiler for this movie, skip ahead. Cause I'm going to tell you about this. I, I'm right here. <laughs> you, but you never care about spoilers. I don't. So the young guy is going to the, it's at night. He's going somewhere and he passes, uh, a a woman who is singing on the street for like, she's busking or whatever. Mm -hmm. She's a poor woman singing on the street for, uh, for change or whatever. And he gives her some money. And then like, as he he walks down the street, you hear her singing going on in the background Mm -hmm. and he passes. Mr. Gray played by Boris Karloff has a conversation with him, walks off and the camera stays. And you see Mr. Gray drive his cab back the way the young man was coming through this sort of arch in the city and like into the darkness and you hear the woman's still singing. And then like the, ca- the ca- carriage goes into just the darkness. So all you're seeing is a town square, empty town square. Mm-hmm. And then the woman suddenly stops singing. Uh, it's it's a really awesome scene.
1: Robert Wise is uh, like not enough of us talk about him. Hey, I know. Was, like, and Then you look it up his filmography. He made West Side marvelous. Story. He like, made The Day the Earth Stood Still. He made The Setup, which is a wonderful boxing film noir. He made Day the Earth Stood Still. Uh, let's see, and then just like scrolling, he's he made a lot of them. He made I Want to Live, West Side Story. He made The Original Haunting, Sound of Music, right. Sand Pebbles, The Andromeda Strain. He made the very first Star Trek movie, which uh, I'm oh, told is very boring. It's very boring, but like. For Star Trek fans, yeah. they love it. It's like the average person that finds it very boring. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, like it just... It has,
0: what's his name in it? Uh, uh, the guy who went on to star in 7th Heaven and then turned out to be a pedophile? Uh, yes. Stephen Collins. Stephen Collins. He was a good actor, is the he thing. He was a good actor.
1: He was in All the President's Men. He was,
0: yeah, it's yeah. Uh, unfortunate. Yeah, and he, I, 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 I mentioned... On a few movie journals ago, I saw uh, the restoration of the 1977 movie Between the Lines. Right, Jeff yeah. Goldblum and all those, and John Hurd and all those people. And he's in that too. Yeah, he's he's great. But uh, yeah, it, very upsetting. Yeah. Let's not end on that note. Do you have anything nice to say?
1: No. No. Well,
0: let me. <laughs> okay, okay I, let me say this.
1: Uh, I didn't know where to say this, but it was in my it was in my head. So uh, I have a fairly long commute uh, a few days a week. Um, and so I've listened to uh, audiobooks and that kind of thing. And some of the audio books I'm I, are intellectual or political or whatever. And then other times like, all right, the 15-year-old in me is uh, coming out and I'm going to listen to stupid schlock from the 90s. Uh so like <laughs> I listened to a couple sequels to uh the original Meg novel. Um okay. and then uh and then I listened to The Lost World, which I had read when I was like 15 or 16. And uh written by Michael Crichton. It's a sequel to Jurassic Park. Um and Michael Crichton was a very good writer as far as like description and like keeping you tense. But that book is terrible. It is like, it is, it feels so calculated. Like the, the, the way in which, and it and it differs greatly from the, from the movie. So if you, if you've only seen the movie, uh, that is, that itself is also not very good, but like the novel, just the, the contrived way that he gets everybody back to this Island. And it's just like, ah, uh, well, doesn't make sense to have kids on the island. How do we get kids on the island so they could be in danger and yet not die? Oh, I know. One of these characters will be a teacher, and these are his students who are like stow away or something, and it's just it's it is so her. stupid. And then he brings Mal like the only return character is Malcolm, um, who died in the first book. Yeah, that's and weird. So they bring him back and then they proceed to do nothing with him. He gets injured again and is just on morphine the whole time, like he was in the first book. So why did they bring, I don't understand why if we say they, it's him, Michael Cre- Creighton. The, the accepted, I looked into it, the accepted wisdom is that he was working with Spielberg and with Universal, and they were just like, hey, Jeff Goldblum is the one we can get like the other people are not interested in coming back. Goldblum is okay with coming back. So, but we want to base it on a book. So we need you to incorporate Malcolm. And he's like, well, Malcolm's dead. And they're like, well, you got to figure out something. And, uh, it is, it is a mess of a book. Um, and, but what's funny is that, uh, going back to those Meg novels, uh, written by Steve Alden, he's, he's, written like six of them and one of the one of, them, of the books that i was listening to was written in i don't remember what you'd call it, it, it like present tense you know like mm-hmm. like yeah. david looks at this such as you yeah. know and uh, that's pretty rare uh for like this kind of schlocky novel but what's hilarious to me is that there are a couple moments where he forgets to no, and, and falls into <laughs> It falls into past tense and it's just like, who was the editor on that? I, I don't know, but I yeah. remember years ago I, I worked for a production company and, uh, and they had me all I was going to do that day. I was going to read an entire book uh, and it was one of these. So it's like, yeah. it's not like I was gonna, it was going to, it was going to take all day, but it's, it's not the type of book that was going to leak into a second day. Cause it was so complex. But as I was reading it and it's, and it's, it's just a rip off of Jurassic park, this book. And it's about like, it's called, it called the flock. I don't think they ever did anything with it, but, um, but I was reading and I was reading through like an action sequence where like characters are being killed. And so this one character experiences this horrendous death and three pages later, the character's back <laughs> and then dies again. Like, I think the, the writer like forgot that he had killed him, or he got the names Again, mixed up. Who was editing? I this? have no idea. But these are published novels, so oh, wow. Uh, so yeah, I know uh, that. We're, I'm still ending on a negative note, but at least well, I'm here I'll say something, something positive, else. okay?
0: Because you got me thinking about reading, okay? And I've been, I try to read comic books regularly, but I had, I had somewhat. Gotten away from, not by, not intentionally, but gotten away from superhero comics mm-hmm. uh, to the point where I went to my comic book store and like picked up, picked up, picked up my pull list. And the guy was like, You don't really read any superhero comics, do you? And I was like, Huh, I should get back into that. So I'm like, you know, th- keeping up with like, uh, the current Runaways book is awesome. I'm really liking Immortal Hulk, which I think I talked about on the podcast recently, but I just, uh, r- picked up the first trade paperback of x men gold, which started about a year or two ago, okay. I think, and man, I read x men books it 's like coming home <laughs> because it is there 's something about reading a superhero book where the villains they're fighting are secondary to their petty, mm-hmm. in squ- like, squabbling and disagreements. Yeah. Um, any character could turn out to be uh, the villain of the next, the next installment. Yeah. And then when they do actually save the world, no one cares because everyone still hates them. <laughs> and there's something wow. I just really love about the complexity uh,
1: and the... The priorities of an X Men, a well told X Men story. It's interesting that it's called X Men Gold because when I was reading X Men in the early '90s, the team had expanded to be so large that they split it into two teams, X Men Gold and X Men Blue. Um, yeah, I think that
0: there was an X Men Blue book that might still be
1: going on. X Men Gold, okay, X-Men right. Gold
0: has, has ended, Dead run has ended, but okay. Yeah, so it's 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 still it's rooted in that. Yeah, idea. I mean, the, okay. Um, I feel like the thing now is uh, that's different from when we were kids in the 90s is that you'd pick up an X-Men and it'd be X-Men number 390 or whatever. Yeah. Now I think there's a premium on doing stories that are a little more self-contained and then you get more press when you have an issue number 1 again. Um, so now every book runs for uh I don't know 60 or so issues and then so there's been a bunch of different there was yeah. um there was uh a really interesting, um, uh, and I don't know, a mixed on it. A book called uncanny Avengers where the X-Men and the Avengers were, oh, okay. uh, teamed up. Um, and then there was, I think just X-Men, uh, in which they were so, cause mutants are so hated now in mm-hmm. the current Marvel world, um, because of the war between the mutants and the inhumans or whatever, uh, oh, okay. had a lot of fallout. So in, I think it was just called X-Men, this book, uh, in which they're so hated that, do you know the character Magic? Uh, so she's uh, uh, Colossus's, is, is that his name? Colossus, Peter, mm-hmm. right? His sister. Ileana? Uh, yes, Ileana, yes. Yeah, all right. Um, and she is, so she's a an X-Man she knows magic she's also the ruler of the hell dimension and so she relocated the charles xavier school to a protected bubble within hell (laughs) Um, so there's an entire book where they're literally living in hell they're in this very beautiful like they've got a lawn and everything everything was there but just outside the bubble they're like demons
1: killing each other you Um, kind of say like Look, Eliana, I know it's the thought that counts, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we could have easily just killed any human that came after us, right? Like demons, a little harder, uh, but, yeah, uh, that yeah. sounds interesting.
0: So now they're out of hell and, uh, the Xavier school is in the middle of central park. Oh, that's, that's nice. where I am now. I'm, I'm sure the people who are current on the books who are like, David, they've moved through more times, <laughs> but, uh, Yeah.